0: Uh, we're in Matthew chapter 20, verse 29 through 34, and 21, 21, 1 through 11. Now, I'm going to be talking about the triumphal entry of Jesus, and actually, oh, look at this giant fly. I hate to squash him on my Bible. <laughs> but anyway, where, I don't know where I was going, but uh, anyway, triumphal entry, and Jason was going to be doing that on Palm Sunday. But I'm really going to be covering most of it. It's not the thorough covering like you would get if you were going through the book of Luke. But I will go through some interesting facts about Palm Sunday. And Jason will be sure to mention it when he teaches on Palm Sunday. But he won't be doing a Palm Sunday talk that Sunday because you're getting it now. So with that, if you would stand as we read the word of God together. The Jericho road to the cross. Now Jesus is on his way to die. He has an appointment. There's an appointed time for Jesus to die. There was an appointed time for him to come into this world. There is an appointed time for him to exit this world, just like who? Us. We have an appointed time stamped on us. Starting in verse 29. Now, as, we went, as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet, but they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them, bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet saying, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees, spread them on the road. Then the multitudes were who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when they had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, who is this? So the multitude says, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. This is the word of God. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this teaching today on Jesus receiving his kingship, for healing these blind guys. He took time to stop on the road for two guys begging more than likely on the side of the roadway. heard Jesus was coming. Oh, that was their moment that you touched and healed an appointed time that you had with them. Lord, I pray today you will open our spiritual eyes and ears. May we be ready to receive what you have for us today, Lord. It's something special that you have for each person here, unique for them. Lord, speak to our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. As you know, the theme of Matthew is Jesus is the promised king. And we're talking about his final journey into Jerusalem, the Jericho Road. He has informed his disciples that he is going to die last week and that he would be buried and rise again the third day. Now, you have to realize this. Without the empty tomb, without Christ being risen, as you know, Christianity is a false religion. But the tomb was empty. Jesus did rise again from the dead. And then we sing every Resurrection Sunday, what? We don't sing it every time, but in my mind, I'm singing it. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. And that's as far as I go with that song. Okay, (laughs) But after three days, he was going to rise again from the dead. Listen to this. Now, when you think about the cross and you think about the resurrection, I want you to think about these two things. Number one, there's a term that Jesus is Christus Victor. Now, there's some controversy about that, but I think if rightly applied, it is is a good title. It means Christ is the conqueror. On the cross, Jesus paid the price for your sins. He was the atoning sacrifice for our sins, it says in 1 John 2.1, but not only our sins, but the sins of the entire world. Now, that word atoning already is complicated, but I'm going to make it more complicated for you. Propitiation. He is the propitiation. I'm not just using a big theological word here to use a word. There's going to be a definition of this. So propitiation is this. It carries the idea of appeasement. Jesus assuaged or appeased the wrath of God on our behalf or satisfaction, especially towards God. Propitiation is a two-part act that involves appeasing the wrath of an offended person, that would be God, and being reconciled to him. We are all offensive to God because we are in a sin state separated from God, have chosen as humans to side with the kingdom of darkness instead of the kingdom of light. Jesus is sent here to save us from our sins. So on the cross, the price was paid for every human. The the, The atonement, I believe, is a universal atonement, but must be appropriated individually. The resurrection accomplished something else. The resurrection, Jesus was victorious over the powers of Satan, the grave. He secured our freedom from sin, death, and Satan. Think of the resurrection as Jesus as Christus Victor. He won the victory for you. All of us, all of us, we're all the you's. So the kingdom of heaven, folks, you were extracted from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And remember, when you came from the darkness, you left that past behind. And Jesus taught us how to live in this world as kingdom of light people. The first shall be last. The last shall be first. If you want to be great in the kingdom, you have to be the slave of somebody else or the servant of somebody very different than our world system, who's always clawing to get to the top. And I would suggest that you always remember as we're studying the book of Matthew, that you're in preparation for another place, another kingdom, another time, you are in Jesus' school in prep for the kingdom that you're going to spend a thousand years in. You're going to be, going to be here from anywhere from birth until, well, I was going to say a hundred, but Mark's past a hundred. So anyway, and then you're gone, but you're going to be in the kingdom for a thousand years. And then you go into eternity where time is no more. Okay. So that's the, that's the situation there. Now, this week, the Jericho Road to the cross, and Jesus is going to bump into these two blind men. Now, I want you to think about what's happening here. It's Passover. It's a great feast. It's one of three feasts, and I'll mention this several times in the talk, so hopefully you remember this. Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles are the appointed feasts that every Jewish man must attend and grab their family and bring them. Those are the three appointed feasts. The, The town is full the Jericho Road is full, and they're on their way. And multitudes are following Jesus anyway. But now the road is even more packed because of Passover, and they're going to run into these two blind guys. They're at the side of the road, probably begging, and they hear that Jesus is coming. That's the setting. Now, as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude, and again the Passover, and because Jesus's popularity, followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out saying, have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. These guys knew that something was different because the masses that were going by them was very different than normal. Very different than normal. Got their attention. Why all the hustle and bustle? Messiah is coming. Messiah is coming. Jesus is coming. The one that heals is coming. And they tuned into that. Then the multitudes warned them that they should be quiet But they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. Now what's going on here, at least that I can see, is that these people want to get the Passover, the majority of them. Why? Because they have to find a place. They have to find their hotel room. They have to find their campsite. And the place is filled. And you're going to see the number of people in Jerusalem, how it swells up during Passover, Pentecost, and tabernacles. They want to find their spot. and We don't want anything to do with some blind guy. Leave them alone. Just stay there out of the way. That's the picture here. Watch Jesus. Then Jesus stood still. Boom. He stopped and he had time for those that no one else had time for. He stopped and said, what do you want me to do for you? Now, that seems like a pretty obvious question, doesn't it? What do you want me to do for you? They're blind. They said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened So Jesus had compassion uh, and touched their eyes and immediately their eyes received sight and then they did something. They followed him. Followed him. Keep that thought in mind. Now, Jesus is making his final approach from Jerusalem or his final approach to Jerusalem from Jericho. It's a 15 mile walk. But it's not an easy walk. You need to know that Jericho is 850 feet below sea level. It is the city that is at the lowest uh, height on the planet that exists, 850 feet below sea level. And you go from there and you ascend into Jerusalem, which is about 2,500 feet. That's a 3,300 feet elevation change. So it was a very difficult journey as you're going up these hills. There are bandits. There are animals, there is climate change in that little distance that they're going. It's very arid and dry down here at the 850 foot point, and it becomes more Mediterranean as they ascend. So it's a difficult journey. But Jesus is determined. He has a date with destiny. He has, a, he has a, determined to follow the Jericho road. He has this date, this appointed time that he has in Jerusalem. It's an appointed time. A date with destiny. Now, I have a picture here, a map, just to give you kind of an idea of what's going on here. Here's the Dead Sea. Now, that's the lowest place on the planet, minus 1,410 feet. Now, he is going from Jericho, 850 feet minus, below sea level, on the Jericho Road. And this isn't depicting it, but you actually ascend into Jerusalem, which is 2,500 square feet. He will stop in Bethany first, which Matthew does not mention, but I will. And then he'll go to Bethphage, and then he'll finally be crucified in Jerusalem. So with that background, let us continue. Now, you realize that people were following Jesus, following Jesus. Multitudes were following. Again, it was the Passover. Some of them followed Jesus because he could meet their needs. And you want to be near someone that is able to meet your needs, and Jesus could do that. Some of them wanted to see a miracle, and, and a vast majority people just want to see, what is he going to do next? I mean, it's really cool following Jesus. I mean, you never know what he's going to do. He gets, he gets these confrontations with Pharisees, and he, and he knows how to deal with them, and he, and he heals people, and he does strange things. Oh, it's great to follow Jesus for the show, for the show. And then there are some who believe he's really the Messiah. A few who will follow him for who he really is. And on this journey, there's a, these two blind men. And these guys are not going to miss their opportunity. Doesn't matter the peer pressure of the multitudes telling them to shut up, leave them alone, just be about your business. These two had the courage to cry out. And I hope you have the courage to cry out to God for your need. Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Again, the multitude warned them to be quiet, and these guys were determined, and Jesus looked at them. He stopped dead in his tracks. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do for you? Now, the lesson is this. God knows our need. He knows everything about you. He knows, he knows when you're coming into this world, exiting this world, He's outside of time. He knows every little ditzel, every little thing in your life. He desires, however, that we reach out to him and ask. That's his desire. My job in the process is ask believing and not doubting. That's my job, to believe and not doubt. I'm going to trust you, Jesus. I don't care what it sounds like, looks like, smells like. I don't care how the thing turns out. I'm going to trust you. God's job is this, to answer according to his will. Now, I don't know if you remember this, but there was a situation a few months ago when we were in Matthew 15 where Jesus came in contact with a a woman who had a demon-possessed daughter. And she was a Gentile. And she kept crying out for Jesus to heal her daughter, to cast the demon out. And it was so much irritating to the disciples that they started to plead with Jesus Just cast the demon out, Jesus. Why are you waiting? And he said he didn't come to the Gentiles. He only came to the house of Israel. But this woman said something amazing. She said this. She cried out, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. That changed everything for that woman. That he cast out the demon. These guys are doing the same thing. Lord, help me. Help me. And Jesus paused and he helped them. Jesus had compassion on them, touched their eyes, and immediately they received their sight. And again, compassion. I don't know how much you have felt the compassion of God, but he has compassion on every single person in this world. It would be much, it's bad now, but without him it would be awful. And folks, in the tribulation period, when the church is gone, and the influence of the Holy Spirit is taken away, and the restrainer is gone, evil will run amok. In this planet and then you'll really know what evil is like right now it's restrained because the Spirit of God is here and the Spirit filled church is here so he had compassion he singled them out he singled these two guys out for their appointed time for their appointed meeting with Jesus and these two were healed and they followed they were healed physically and they will healed spiritually and hopefully you will realize that when your dead heart was healed, that you turned around and you followed the master. When you're dead, we're born in our, in a, dead in our trespasses and sins. And when Jesus comes in, he gives us life. And folks, when he gives you life, that is a ticket to follow him. That means to obey him, to do things his way, not your way. Jesus' cry always is come and follow. And these guys didn't have to, have to be asked that. They automatically, we're following you, Jesus. Wherever you go, you give it a sight, we're going. Now, I want you to think about this. The mark of a, I believe, the mark of a true believer is one that does come and follow. Come and follow Jesus. Leave your past. Leave the things in the past and follow. Follow the Messiah. Follow the anointed one. Remember, we're following the one who we learned in the past is our treasure. Is our treasure. Remember, Jesus is the great reward. It is not so much about what we're getting out of this as to whom we are getting. We are getting the Lord Jesus Christ. It's five days prior to the cross. Jesus has an appointed time with the cross. Jesus will be going to die. And we're going to talk about his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, verses 1 through 3 of chapter 21. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem, they came to Bethphage, which is near Bethany at the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village opposite you, that would be Bethany, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Now, Luke only mentions the colt, but there's two animals here. "Loose, Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, anyone objects at all, you shall say the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. Now, Jesus hasn't been here. This is God orchestrating this in the background. And this is the, showing the omniscience, the, the all knowing, all powerful God is at work orchestrating this stuff. So that's kind of the background of it. So, where we are in our teaching here. Is five days or so before the cross. The triumphal entry is going to be occurring. But I want to mention to you what happened six days prior to the cross in Bethany. Jesus is in Bethany. John mentions this. Matthew does not. In John chapter 12, 1 through 8, Jesus arrives in Bethany. And the question is, why stop in Bethany? Why stop in Bethany? What's the big deal about Bethany? Remember, in God's economy, everything is significant. Everything is important. In Bethany, Mary anoints the feet of Jesus in preparation for his death. And Judas pitches a fit because it's costly. It's costly. It says this in John chapter 12, verse 5. Why was this, Judas saying, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? I mean, he's trying to look good. He's looking religious. He's looking very righteous. And Jesus says this, let her alone she has kept this day for the day She has kept this for the day of my burial the day of my burial mary anoints the feet of jesus this is very precious jesus know, is stressed he knows what he's going to be facing and he has a special time with mary and he gets this comfort as he's being anointed by her and then secondly and what you need to know and what most people don't know or i don't know maybe a group like this does that the, there was a Passover lamb that would come from Bethany, the one sacrificed for the nation. There was one lamb that was set aside to be sacrificed for the nation. At Passover, there's thousands and thousands of people, each one sequestered into groups. Those groups would each have a lamb that the, that the priest would slaughter or cut their throat and get the blood and take it to the altar. And I'm going to explain this to you in just a second. Now, the Passover lamb is a type of Christ, a type of Jesus, who would be sacrificed at the moment the Passover lamb was sacrificed for the nation. It happened at the very same time. So every year, the Jewish people are going through this Passover ceremony. And it's really a type of Christ. The Passover lamb is a type of Christ. Think about this, what's happening. One man wrote this, quote, talking about the lamb and the psalms that were sung. The lamb for the nation was led in a huge procession from Bethany to the temple. This is a big deal. All the people are out there for this lamb. The people would have palm branches in their, in their hands and they would sing a halil, the halil. These are five chapters in the book of Psalms, 113 to 118. The end of the halil songs, you encounter these words, Lord, save us, Hosanna. Hosanna, Lord prospers, and then you hear these words, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. On the 10th of Nisan, that's five days before, 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th, so there's five days there, Jesus rode into Jerusalem at night, excuse me, right behind, that night, right behind the Lamb chosen to die for the sins of the nation. And think about this. Think about the precision of what I'm going to say here in the next few seconds. Think about the precision. After the lamb was checked for blemishes, the lamb for the nation is checked for blemishes, examined for four days. Jesus is being examined for four days prior to the cross. The lamb had to be a perfect lamb. It could not have any blemishes. Jesus is the perfect lamb of God. No blemishes. The picture is very complete. The chosen lamb for the, on the day of Passover was led to the altar at 9 o'clock in the morning. They call that the third hour. Jesus is hung on the cross at 9 o'clock at the third hour. Okay? So the lamb is there at the, at the, at the, at the 9, at 9 a.m., or excuse me, the third hour, he's, he's tied. And then at 3 p.m., the ninth hour, the lamb is slaughtered. At 3 p.m., you know what happened to Jesus. He was slaughtered. So thousands of years, you have this picture painted for the Jewish people of what's going on. Messiah is the one that's being sacrificed for the sins of the world right on time. And it is interesting, as the Passover lamb is being slaughtered, the priest would say, it is finished. When Jesus dies at 3 p.m., he cries out, it is finished finished. He's completing the picture completely. Now we're five days prior to the cross. Jesus will send his disciples, two disciples in to get the, get the colt to ride on. So prophecy will be fulfilled. Verse four and five has to be done. Everything in order perfectly. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet saying, Zachariah nine, nine, Tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you lowly, sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So this has to work out exactly this way. They couldn't Jesus couldn't walk into Jerusalem. Jesus could not be carted into Jerusalem. Jesus could not go into Jerusalem on an elephant. He could not go on a horse, He had to go on a donkey, a colt, a foal, okay, of a donkey in order to have the prophesy, prophecy fulfilled. So he rode in the Jerusalem on a colt and it, as it was prophesied. Luke adds this little ditty that no one ever rode this colt, this this young one, okay? Now, you know that young ones are wild, wild, unusual. No one has ridden it. Think about this. Jesus on a young colt, never ridden before, the crowd is massive, and you're going to find out how massive in just a second. It's loud. It's, they're frantic. They're waving palm branches all over in front of this cult that's never been out in public or you know, never experienced anything like this, and they're crying out, screaming. Actually, it's loud. Hosanna, psalms of praise. And what does the cult do? Just moseys along. No problem. No problem. The animal is subject to the one riding it. Jesus, folks, is God. Listen to this. People may not know who Jesus is. But I'll tell you, all of creation does. Do you know that in Romans 8.22, that all creation groans with birth pangs, waiting for its redemption? Just like us waiting for our redemption. God is orchestrating this event to a T verse 6 through 9 the triumphal entry so his the disciples went and did as jesus commanded them yep they would they should they brought the donkey and the colt laid their clothes on them and set him on them and a very great multitude spread out their clothes for royal this is what you do for royalty on the road others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road then the multitudes who went before and those who followed, so you have the ones that are in front, ones that are in back, Jesus is in the middle, and there's all this commotion about Hosanna, Hosanna, and a whole place is electrified. And they're saying, Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the name of Yahweh, Hosanna in the highest. And this is the picture of Jesus coming into Jerusalem to, to do something very significant make no mistake what is happening here. Jesus is receiving His kingship. He's receiving his kingship. That is significant because Matthew is written, the theme of Matthew is that Jesus is the promised king, the king that will be coming, the king that will one day rule. Matthew is all about Jesus and being the king. And he is here. The eyes of the nation are going to see Him and are going to accept him. As their king. He says, I am your king. And they're all just praising him. Hosanna. It's great and wonderful and it's terrific. And they're all excited. The people recognize that Jesus is the Messiah at this point. And the word Messiah or or Christ, Jesus is the Christ. Christ is the Greek. Messiah is the Hebrew, is the anointed one. Simply means the anointed one. We know him as our Savior, our Deliverer, our Christos the one who saved our souls, the one who died in our place. Prophet after prophet promised, Messiah is coming. Messiah is coming. I mean it, he's really coming. Just like today, we know Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And they all, in in those days, they just, when's he going to come? When's he going to come? He's never going to come. When's he going to come? Well, there's an appointed time when he comes. Messiah is now here for these folks. He's here. He's here. And what we need to know, for them and for us, God always, always, always fulfills his promises at his time, and I might say on time, in his prescribed way, his appointed way. Always. God is in full control. Now, that's good to remember. When your world starts to spin out of control, which everyone does, No one's exempt from the spinning out of control deal. That God is your stabilizer. He's the one that will stop the dizziness and boom, get you stabilized in your life. He's in full control. Masses of people are in Jerusalem for the Passover, the appointed feast. The town is bustling with tourists. The excitement is palpable. And then Jesus enters in. The atmosphere is electrified. There is a Hebrew scholar. His name is Joachim Jeremias. And he says this, Jerusalem had a population of about 20 to 30,000, but at Passover, it it swelled up to 150,000 and some people say even up to a million people would be crowded in, campgrounds, every room full. That's why these guys are in a hurry. Don't mess with this blind guy. We got to find our spot. This is where I camp out every year. Don't want somebody to take it, that sort of thing. In verse 9, then the multitudes went, who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, save now Jesus in the highest. And I want you to notice they're crying this out. This is loud. This is loud. The word cried out, the multitude cried out is karezo. And it's significant that it means to shriek, to shriek, to wail, to cry out loud. It's like when you go to a stadium. And you see people doing the wave, or you see people cheering for their team, and somebody finally hit a home run. It's the top of the bottom of the ninth inning. There's two outs, and there's no hope. And a guy gets up, and boom, and then boom, the stadium goes crazy. Well, that's what's happening here, only for a prolonged period of time. The multitude are exploding with, cra- with praise. Now, at Passover, I want to give you some insight as to what is actually happening with the lambs being slaughtered, and what happens to the blood, And I want you to get a picture of the bloody mess that this whole thing is, the Passover and the crucifixion. Now, the process is this. On the evening of Passover, on the 14th of Nisan, lambs were sacrificed. Historical records, now this is a quote, indicated that in the time of Christ, their number would have reached the lambs sacrificed for different groups. There would be 12 people in a Passover. There's a certain number in each Passover, these groups coming together with each with their perfect lamb to be sacrificed for that family. And there's the one that sacrificed for the nation. It's estimated that 250,000 lambs were slaughtered at this time. The representatives of the Passovers would come to the temple in procession. They were admitted to the court of priests in divisions. And at the court of priests, at the altar of burnt offerings, the lamb, the lamb is sacrificed. The, The blood is gathered in a cup or a bowl, and then passed on to another priest. It would be a silver bowl or a gold bowl. And these priests were, had to be really efficient to get through all of this while they're singing those five psalms. For each division, they had to make it through. So it, would, it was proposed that the priests were so so efficient that it looked like a silver thread or a gold thread going from the period where they were placed, they were sacrificed, to the place where they jerked it against the altar. They took the blood and just boomed against the altar. That blood was so deep, it would congeal and be up up in your shins, and it would be all over that place. It was a bloody mess, a bloody mess. At the first Passover, now think about why Passover, the Jewish people were set free from Pharaoh's enslavement. Pharaoh is a picture of Satan. Okay? instructed by God to place blood on the doorpost and the lentil. Of course, Jesus freed us from Satan's bondage on the cross. So they had to put the blood on the doorpost and the lentil. There's a picture here, doorpost and lentil, kind of reminds you of the cross, okay? Now, when the Lord sees the blood on the door, when Yahweh, when God sees the blood on the door, the destroyer would pass by your house. You had the responsibility to personally take the blood from the sacrificed lamb and put it on the door, and then you would be saved. You have the responsibility personally to believe Jesus died for you, his blood sacrificed for you, and that his blood is on the door of your heart, so to speak. And the death angel will pass over you, gives you access to heaven because of the blood of Christ. That is the picture here. Now, when you you do that, the destroyer would not come to your house to strike you. Passover, folks, was a bloody, bloody event. The crucifixion of Jesus was a bloody, bloody event. Now, I've mentioned this last time, but you remember the flagellum. and Remember the pieces of pottery, the glass at the end, or the sharp rocks, and how it could rip somebody's guts open, and their guts could pour out. People died from the beating. You were in hemorrhagic shock when you're put on the cross. I mean, you are raked and stripped, and Jesus was beaten to a pulp. But it's a bloody event. Think about this: every communion service, every communion service, we are communion is kind of like a mini Passover. Every communion service, we remember the sacrifice Jesus made for each one of us it's personal what he did for each of us his broken body was crushed for you by the way when i say broken body not one bone of jesus was broken why because it was prophesied jesus is on the cross yet the killer on one side the the rapist on the other these thieves are being killed with them they get their tibias crushed boom crushes this one so to accelerate death so they can't heave up and breathe boom to the other one, break his tibia. So he can't breathe. They get to Jesus in the middle and they he's already dead. They could not break a bone. If they had broken the bones, he would not have been the Messiah because the prophet said no bone would be broken. That fulfilled prophecy. That fulfilled prophecy. Every communion service his shed blood poured out for you. And I would suggest When you're taking communion, that is a solemn event, a solemn event. Never forget what Jesus has done for you to secure your freedom from Satan and the kingdom of darkness. He died so that we can live. He died in my place to set us free from Satan's bondage. Verse 10 and 11, the multitude still do not know who Jesus really is. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, who is this? So the multitude said, we're following Jesus, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. The prophet. The city was moved. Who is this? Now that word moved is si- seo, seo, seo. Like a seismo. When you hear a seismologist, seo. We get it from the word seismos. It means shaken or quake, like an earthquake. The city was quaking, shaken by the entry of Jesus. Every world religion, folks, you know this. We've talked about this before. Viewed Jesus as a special teacher, a great person, an enlightened one, even a prophet. But no world religion and no cult identifies Jesus as being God, except for Christianity. All other religions deny that he is God incarnate. That's how you know if you're following the right right course. They missed who Jesus was then, and most miss who he is now. And don't miss this. He had an appointed time to go into Jerusalem. He has an appointed time with you, with each one of us. More on that in just a second. Closing thoughts. Jesus did accept his kingship. He is king of kings And he is Lord of lords. No question about that. Jesus, Jewish people who are praising him, crying out, Hosanna. Listen to this. Five days later, this same group that's hip, hip, parade Jesus. Oh, Jesus, we love you. Oh, Jesus, you're the best. You're the greatest. Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. The fickleness of humanity from worship to worthless in five days. Five days. Hero to heal in five days. Love turning to hate. Why was that? Because they expected Jesus to free them from Rome. That's what Messiah was going to do. That's the Jewish picture. Freedom from Rome. Establish the Jewish people as the powerhouse on the planet. They missed something. They missed the Jesus that would be coming as a sacrifice. He will come as the king. He will establish his kingdom. There will be a kingdom that will be established, but first he had to die before he could be the king. At the perfect time, at the appointed time, God sent his son the first time. We, we celebrate this at Christmas. In Galatians 4 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, sent forth his son born of a woman. Uh, I would want you to think about something. When are thinking about appointed times, I'm going to mention this several times here the perfect time, the appointed time. God expects you to have a clue. God expects you to have a clue as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to have a clue of what's going on in the culture that's around you regarding his coming. Now, we, are, we have all kinds of information today that people heretofore did not have because we have the internet, we have news 24-7, we have we're bombarded with information. I think it's bad to some extent, but to some extent we have information that no other generation ever had, ever had. The perfect time. God is orchestrating all these times. At the perfect time, at the appointed time, Jesus entered Jerusalem to accept his kingship. He couldn't do it earlier. He couldn't do it later. It had to be on that day, that specific Passover. Why? Why? Because Daniel prophesied this in Daniel 9.25. Know, therefore, and understand the whole timeline is right there exactly for this event. And understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there would be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Now, some of you are familiar with this. Some of you may not be familiar with that, but that's 69-week years. 69-week years. 483 years. From the going forth of the command, which was in 444 B.C., until Messiah, whoever that person is going to be, enters Jerusalem and accepts his kingship. Now, that happened, just so happens, on exactly 483 years later. That leaves you a whole 360 days. It's a 360-day calendar for the Jews. There was a man, Sir Lawrence Anderson, who did calculations, and you've heard this before. I've mentioned this before. And he came up with the calculations to the day. 173,880 days from the going forth of the command to build Jerusalem until Jesus rides in on his triumphal entry to the day it was fulfilled. No one can orchestrate this. No one can make this up. This is prophecy right down to the nth degree. And by the way, if Jesus was not crucified with these thieves, he wouldn't have been the Messiah. If Jesus wasn't stabbed in the side with a spear, he wouldn't have been the Messiah. If they didn't gamble for his clothes, he wouldn't have been the Messiah. If he wasn't buried in a rich man's tomb... How could he orchestrate that? He wouldn't be the Messiah. Jesus Christ is the Messiah of Israel, and he is our Savior. Now, you need to hear this. At the perfect time, the king was announced to the nation of Israel. And again, this is where, I don't know if I messed you up or not, Maritza, but the exact time, 483 years later, to the day Jesus entered Jerusalem. I already said this. No one can orchestrate. Did you put that up at the right time? Oh, good. Thank you for saving me. Okay, yes, because I just went off on it. Yeah. Now, another perfect time. Hear this. At the perfect time, at the appointed time, God will release his son to fetch his bride. Now, get alert here. This is, this is, this is significant. You know that we're into prophecy and that whole thing in, in, this whole, in, our, in our church. But this is significant. We identify this event as the rapture of the church. A day when Jesus comes for his bride. Where does Jesus take his bride? To Father's house. To Father's house. Why does he go to Father's house? For the marriage ceremony. The marriage ceremony. That is found in Revelation chapter 19, verse 7 and 8. I want to read this to you just for completeness. Let us be glad. Now this is... Revelation 19 is Jesus is coming back. Before he comes back on the white horse and gains control of earth, he takes his bride to Father's house. They don't go straight to earth. He takes them to Father's house first. That's an important delineating factor. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. That's our duty. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. That's the bride and Jesus The wedding ceremony where the marriage is consummated. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen. The church is always in white, fine linen. And bright for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Now, keep that thought in mind. Keep that thought in mind. Let's go through this again. The bridegroom spends seven days in the wedding chamber. This is a historical way that Jews do their wedding. Seven days in the, in the wedding chamber. Afterwards, there is a great feast called the marriage supper where all the guests come and to partake. Now, who would the guests be? The Old Testament saints and the tribulation saints. See, the church is a special entity, a special entity called the Bride of Christ. The Bride of Christ will spend those seven days in the bridal chamber with Jesus during those dreadful days known as the Great Tribulation. That's what I believe happens here. That's why I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. After those days, we will celebrate the marriage supper of the Lamb, a time when all the guests come to celebrate. Now, Jesus puts this perfectly in John chapter 14, 1 through 3. This is a funeral verse. Every funeral I do, you hear this verse. Now, the setting is this. The disciples have just been told that they're going to all run away. All you guys are going to desert me. What does Peter say? Not me, not me. I won't desert you, Jesus. Yes, you will. Three times and he did. Okay. So now the group is very disturbed, very upset by what Jesus said. They, none of them feel like they're going to betray him, but they will. He says this to them, let not your heart be troubled. Doesn't he say that to you? Let not your heart be troubled. Stock market crashing, new world order coming. Let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And then he says these incredible words. In my father's house are many mansions or rooms or dwelling places. Depends on your translation. If it were not so, I would have told you so. And I go to prepare a place for you. Where? In father's house. This isn't the kingdom. This is Father's house. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Take a stop. Where does the bride go? The Father's house. The bride always follows the bridegroom. Okay, that's the picture here. He's in Father's house, they go there. Now when Jesus comes back, it's going to change. And we're going to see this in just a second. Watch this. Now, you can't miss this. To me, this is a slam dunk, a slam dunk. Jesus comes for his bride, takes her to Father's house. Jesus does not come for his bride. If you just believe in a single second return of Jesus, Jesus comes for his bride, and then there's a U-turn. He meets you. You make a U-turn. No marriage ceremony. You come back to the earth, and the first thing you do is you're in this massive fight. Now, you're watching Jesus do all of this, but talk about a traumatized bride. Armageddon, (laughs) the false prophet, the Antichrist are killed, thrown into the lake of fire. The earth dwellers are all killed. You think the bride is going to, oh, this is a great honeymoon, Jesus. I mean, this is just terrific. No, that is not what happens. Jesus does not take his bride to this. It's the marriage first of the Lamb. And then there's a marriage ceremony in 1911. After the marriage ceremony, after the seven years, then you come down for the, for the supper, for the supper. When Jesus returns, he is no longer pictured, folks, as a lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. And I'll tell you, when he comes back, let me just go through this again. Think about this. When he comes back in Revelation chapter 19, 11 on, he comes back this way. Heaven opened, he comes on a white horse. This is a victor's horse. This is not a cult anymore. This is not a servant's animal. He's a king. He is king of kings, and he's coming. He's faithful. He judges. He makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. This isn't the Sunday school Jesus. This isn't the little meek Jesus. This is warrior Jesus coming back. You got to get the picture. On his head were many crowns. He had a name written new and new except himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood. It's a mess when he comes back. His name is called the Word of God. Who's the Word of God in Scripture? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1.14. 1, the Word of God. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen. Folks, that's you. And I think the angels are with us. Now look it. If you are seeing Jesus and you see him coming, you're, you're, you're on the wrong side. You want to see the back of Jesus. We're going to be following Jesus. I just heard Amir say that, by the way. Following Jesus. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, following him. And out of his mouth a sharp sword. He strikes the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. He treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. See, he offers you his grace and his peace and his presence. But if you reject it, this is the end result. It is the true picture of Jesus. It's not this phony picture. Uh, Teresa gave us a picture, a, a, a handout of the phony picture of Jesus that we see people promoting today in churches. There's this great article that we just talked all about, what people, how people are viewing Jesus. They don't see the totality of Jesus. Social justice, love everything, love conquers all. Well, love is important, but also obeying what Jesus taught us is, is a quintessential importance. The wrath of Almighty God on his robe is written a name. There's no name like this. King of kings and Lord of lords. God is orchestrating this whole thing. And finally, at the perfect time, at the appointed time, Jesus will come for you. It's an appointed time. We all have an appointed time with God. We all have an entrance date and an exit date. I tried to find a picture of this, you know, stamped on somebody, but they didn't do that on Google. So... Psalm 139.16 says this, And in your book, the book of life, they were all written, what? The days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. Your entrance date and exit date was determined in eternity past, folks. He knows when you're coming in. He knows when you're exiting. He knows how you're going to exit. Jesus traveled the Jericho road to the cross. He was determined that nothing would deter him from his mission. His appointed time. Jesus was appointed to come here. To become one of us so that we could be with Him. He was determined to die for our sins. To destroy the works of the devil. And nothing, nothing, nothing would deter Him from His mission to be with, for us to be with Him. Jesus traveled the crimson road for you. So that you could be with Him one day. He did it for you. May we determine... When Jesus has his appointed time with us, remember, God determines the day of salvation, folks. He is the one that opens the hearts, opens the minds, prepares somebody to receive the message. That's all the work of God. But when he has that appointed time, he says, come and follow, folks. That's the time to come and follow. Come Follow him until you're taken to Father's house to be with him. The Crimson Road, folks, is the only road that will get you home safely to be with him. Jesus followed the crimson road to this destiny. May we do the same. And I have a picture here of a guy on a road, and he's all alone. And folks, you may feel this way all alone, but man, you stay on the only road to Jesus. You stay on the road that was paved with his blood. That's the only thing that's going to get you there. There's a psalm I want to end with. Show me the right path, O Lord. Show me the right road, the right way, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth. Teach me, for you are the God who saves me. It's personal. All day long, folks, I put my hope in you. Folks, I hope you are on the crimson road. It's the only road that will get you home safely. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that you've given us to study the inerrant, infallible word of the living God. Thank you for the encouragement we get that, God, you do everything at your appointed time. And, folks, there is an appointed time that our God will come for us. Thank you, Father, that Jesus will come for his bride and rescue us from this mess called life on planet Earth. As we devolve here and our spirits get a little bit dampened, may we focus on your word and may we evolve into hope, massive hope, that our King is coming to take us to Father's house. One way or another, one way or another, whether you're pre-trip, mid-trip, post-trip, eight-trip, if you believe in Jesus, you're going to Father's house. And that's what we want to remember, Lord. That is our blessed hope, is our Savior coming for us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.